0: Mike Ling
1: and I'm Charles Lee
0: and you're listening to the Grok Science Show
1: that's right it's a weekly look at the world of science technology and the effects on our daily lives coming up on today's program are Philip Bouchard will join us to discuss the Stickler's Guide to Science
0: so stay tuned for all of this
1: plus the Grokatron 5000
0: and our world famous question a week
1: coming right
0: up here on the Grok's Science Show
1: Science show. Well, science in the age of misinformation may be hard to discern from that which is not. So real. Well, how can we discern between real science and all those fake sources that may try to dissuade us otherwise? Joining us today to discuss this issue is Mr. R. Philip Bouchard. Mr. Bouchard is a lifelong natural science nerd with a track record of creating successful educational media. He's a software engineer and educator who designed the famous 1985 computer game The Oregon Trail, which went on to sell 65 million copies, time naming as one of the 10 best video games of all time. He has penned the new book. The Stickler's Guide to the Science in the Age of Misinformation, The Real Science Behind Hacky Headlines, Crappy Clickbait, and Suspect Sources. Mr. Bouchard, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show.
0: Well, Dr. Lee, hello. I'm delighted to be on your show.
1: Certainly our pleasure. It's certainly a great book you've put together here, The Stickler's Guide to Science, and we break down all the real information from the misinformation. I'm curious why you decided to put this book together.
0: Well, first of all, I've had a lifelong love of natural science, and so I just I wanted to share that love to help other people feel that science is really interesting. But the other reason is that there is so much misinformation out there, ranging from information that's slightly wrong to information that's completely wrong, and I wanted to provide an opportunity to set some of that information straight. Uh, Certainly, we are inundated
1: by information, both right and wrong. Here, do you think it's gotten worse over the past years, or is now that information is so much more facile and easily attainable that it's a lot harder to sort out stuff that's correct from the stuff that's wrong?
0: I would say the latter. We certainly have many, many additional sources of information. It's easier just to spread information in essentially the form of rumors online, so that it's not really fact checked or it's erroneous in one way or another, and sometimes it's only slightly wrong. So that is is the issue. There's that whole range of very wrong to actually right.
1: Of all the topics, were there sort of surprised you more than others by just how prevalent the misinformation still is or the extent to which it permeates popular
0: culture? Well, when it comes to anything related to health and nutrition, there is new ideas being circulated out every year, almost every month, because, well, it was, there's such an opportunity to make money by selling, by scaring people and selling people to buy something to address those fears. So health and nutrition is a big area, but there really are a lot of areas where we even mislead ourselves. We we oversimplify, and that's the way our brains work. It makes sense that we oversimplify, but it helps to recognize when we have done so. You know, for example, we like to say, well, radiation is dangerous. Well, that's an oversimplification because some kinds of radiation are much more dangerous than others. Some are not really dangerous at all. And it depends upon not just the kind of radiation, but also the intensity of the radiation and the duration of the exposure.
1: Some of these are the motive people trying to sell you something. Do you
0: think that, that is a major motive? It is a motivation for certainly some of it. On the other hand, I am actually a bit more fascinated with the ways in which we slightly mislead ourselves. We pick up information that has a lot of truth in it and some misinformation or slightly erroneous ideas. So for instance, when I first heard the expression that rainforests are the lungs of the planet or that trees are the lungs of the earth, well, that sounded really interesting. It sounded like a nice analogy, but the more I looked into it, the more it doesn't hold up. In this particular case, It's suggesting that trees are like lungs in some way, but it doesn't really say how. It turns out that similarity has to do with gas exchange. Lungs and trees both take in one gas and give off another gas, although in the opposite direction. So lungs take in oxygen, give off carbon dioxide, trees do the opposite. But that particular expression is misleading because it says that trees or rainforests are the lungs of the planet or of the earth implying something much greater than simply a similarity to lungs. And many people take that implication to mean that if we were to cut down all of the rainforest in the world, we would suffocate. We would no longer have oxygen. That isn't true. I mean, all kinds of really bad effects would occur if we cut down all the rainforest, but lack of oxygen wouldn't be one of them. But it would, among the many serious effects, one of the bad effects would be an increase in carbon dioxide in the atmosphere.
1: A poor analogy for what the rainforests are, I mean that sort of follows that in the book is the idea that no no gravity in space.
0: Oh, that's an interesting one because we see, for instance, astronauts on the International Space Station weightless floating around, and we say, oh, there must not be any gravity. But in fact, there is gravity. In fact, the planets circle around the sun because of gravity, and galaxies have their globular or spiral shapes because of gravity. So gravity can act at a very long distance, and at the elevation of the International Space Station, Earth's gravity is ninety percent as strong as it is on the surface of the Earth. It's almost full gravity. So the effect of weightlessness is not due to a lack of gravity, but due to the orbit of the of the space station. And in particular, the orbit is involves the space station constantly falling towards the Earth under the influence of gravity, but at the same time, it's moving away from the Earth because of its of the inertia of its path. Those two effects are in perfect balance, resulting in a circular path that never gets closer to the Earth, but still has the same effect as if you were falling towards the Earth, leaving the passengers weightless.
1: Indeed, I think people are familiar with uh, those images of the the Vomit Comet. Yes, perfect analogy. Well, again, the book is filled with all these of uh, misconceptions. One that continues this concept of evolution, where even though people may say they accept evolution as true, they might not actually understand it as it's scientifically formulated.
0: Yeah, there are quite a few misconceptions related to evolution among both the believers and the non-believers. In the popular media, human evolution is often depicted as a linear chain of species leading up to modern humans. But well, this suggests that The entire first species evolved into the second species, the second into the third, and so on. But that's not usually what happens in evolution. Instead, the typical path of evolution is a highly branched tree rather than a straight chain. And that's because each successful species typically diverges into multiple species on the way. And that's because the various populations that make up a species evolve independently, adapting to local conditions using the locally available genes. If we think of the canid family, foxes and wolves and so on, that all started out as one species millions of years ago. But today there are three dozen species of wild canids in the world. Plus, there were many other dozens of canid species that have now become extinct. Well, human evolution from Australopithecus to Homo sapiens was also a tree. The difference is that today only one species is still alive. You always see those pictures of the evolution of man, Correct. We also have that same uh, misleading drawing, sometimes it's with relation to horses, from Eohippus to the modern horse, shown as a straight line rather than a tree.
1: There's really a lot of misleading ideas out there. I wonder that DNA is the blueprint of life. Why is this so misleading?
0: Well, first I want to mention that there, the analogy of, of DNA to blueprint is a completely different analogy than, than DNA to fingerprints, which is a completely different context. But to say that DNA is the blueprint of life suggests that somehow DNA contains plans comparable to a blueprint, so drawings, sketches, something that shows the intended final result. But that is not at all how DNA works. In fact, each gene in DNA simply contains the information for constructing one type of protein. So there's about 20,000 different kinds of proteins that DNA can make, and all these proteins that are being turned out by DNA are what produce all the biochemical processes in the body and the growth of a human from the zygote to the adult. Or the same thing with all the other forms of life in the world.
1: How do you think these issues sort of arise? The ability of scientists to communicate what actually is going on or science popularizers trying to simplify things too much? Where do you think these misconceptions arise?
0: That's a very interesting question. I I think a lot of it just has to do with human nature is that we want to, find and, and use the simplest mental models that get us through the day, and allow us to understand things. And it's a perfectly understandable impetus, and yet it does lead to oversimplified models. So the challenge is to, in, this, in my book is to how can I present something that's almost as simple and much more accurate, so that it's not hard to understand, and people can easily read any chapter in the book, even without much science background. And then develop new mental models that are a little more complex and a lot more accurate.
1: Maybe along those ideas, you know, there's that uh, people who are left-brained and right-brained.
0: <laughs> right. Well, that was a very popular concept. And you can still hear people today talk about left-brained and right-brained people, which is completely in- incorrect, as it turns out. That was based on two key ideas, and that was that the left side of the brain controls logical and math functions and the right side creative tasks and that everybody has a dominant side of the brain, which, and that dominant side determines your personality. Well, both of those ideas turned out to be false. The actual functioning of the brain is quite different. Neither side has a monopoly on logical or creative thought. Neither side is dominant. Instead, the brain divides each task into many subtasks, which are assigned to many different parts of the brain. So if you want to think about different parts of the brain, it's more helpful to think about the three main parts, the cerebrum, cerebellum, and brainstem, to think about the four different lobes of the cerebrum, which have their own specialties, or about different specialized regions within each of those lobes. But I should mention that there are one or two human brain tasks that do tend to be lateralized on one side or the other. One of those is speech production, and the other one is facial recognition. It turns out the most right-handed people produce the speech primarily with the left side of the brain, even though the actual formulation of the thoughts and all the other activities related to getting to the point of producing that speech are spread all over the brain.
1: Perhaps one most pressing to everybody these days is pandemics, epidemics, and all all the like. So what about COVID-19? How does this compare? Well, the
0: word deadly is a bit ambiguous in the sense that we could be talking about the Total number of deaths, or we could talk about your odds of dying if if you should catch the disease. You know, by that latter measure, Ebola is deadlier, but in terms of the actual number of deaths, COVID is the deadliest disease in the world right now, killing about two million people a year. That puts it into first place. Tuberculosis is close with about one and a half million people dying every year. AIDS used to kill more than a million a year, but it's down to a bit more than half a million now because of better treatment. And malaria kills about half a million people a year. So there are several deadly diseases, but COVID-19 is the deadliest right now.
1: Were there any of these that surprised you in terms of just how much to fool ourselves?
0: Oh, well, I, I do continue to get amazed at things I'll see online about you know, diets or, or how this or that will make you healthy. Or one of the most surprising is that now whenever I look up any, any minerals, because I like to tumble rocks, I look at my new mineral and I'll see, see somebody talking about the magical health effects of possessing that particular mineral. And that's not, not even not holding it or swallowing it, just possessing this mineral and will make you supposed to, it's like almost like a horoscope, you know, it says each mineral has its own particular properties to make you healthy. So things like this are just, they're all around us. And these kinds of ideas are, well, in a sense, they're kind of fun. It's like horoscopes for fun, but well, it's its like having to vacuum the house, you know, the dirt keeps coming in, and we vacuum it again. So these strange ideas creep into our society, and science educators can work to kind of sweep them away while replacing them with more useful ideas that are more accurate and help us better understand what's really going on in the world around us.
1: Do you think we're particularly more susceptible in the U.S. to some of these
0: ideas across the world, prone to misinformation as we are? I would say that humans, because of human nature, are fully prone, but some parts of the world have a more solid education, science education than other parts, and that sort of immunizes people to a certain degree against some of, some of these ideas.
1: The book goes to great lengths to address a lot of misinformation in society. People taking a look at the book, what would you like them to take home from reading the book, The Stickler's Guide to Science?
0: Well, more than anything else, I'd like them to I think that, you know, natural science is interesting. I like this. I'd like to learn more about natural science. This book with a starting point, I want to keep going and learn more. That's what I'd like people to take away.
1: We were just talking with Mr. R. Philip Bouchard. His new book, The Stickler's Guide to Science in the Age of Misinformation, the real science behind hacky headlines, crappy clickbait, and suspect sources. Mr. Bouchard, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show.
0: Well, thank you, Dr. Lee. I really enjoyed it.